Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. This was an, I'll tell you, when I was experiencing these, writing these songs, I felt like my guts were walking around. I was watching my intestines just kind of standing there like eels dancing up in front of me. And um, not to get gross on you, but I think when you're going through stuff emotionally, you feel like all your body parts are just out there. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about The Pool, a B-side from Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. Hi, David. You ready to dive in? I am ready. I've got my floaties on. Ooh. Safety first. And your swim cap. I see it. Yeah, uh-huh. My nose plugs. I'm a dainty swimmer. <laughs> what do you wear in the pool? What is the evolution of what you have worn your whole life, your swimwear evolution? It has not evolved. It has stayed the same my entire <laughs> life. In addition to the floaties, I wear an old-timey swim costume. You know, that's basically okay. like a jumpsuit, or at least down to the knees, sleeves, really? everything. Yeah. I'm fair-skinned. I can't risk sun exposure. Okay, that's adorable. How about you? Well, I don't swim very often, but the evolution of my swimwear, let's see. When I was a kid, I was at a public pool in my swim trunks, and my dad dropped me off at the pool for like a nice summer outing, you know? But he dropped me off. And it was like kids day. It was like there was lifeguards on duty, you know, you like didn't have to really worry about it. And I was discovering the diving board and I would jump from the diving board and like belly flop <laughs> into the pool. I was, Graceful. Yeah, I was not the skinniest kid, nor was I the best swimmer, but I was having fun and I had no friends and I was alone. And then I would get out of the pool and then go back around and jump off the diving board. I did it like three or four times. And every time I get out of the pool, I knew I was chubby. And I like I was kind of embarrassed, you know. But I still had my shirt off. And then as I was walking around like the third time, the lifeguard shouts down to me, Hey, quit showing off your chest. Oh, my. And he must have been like in high school. But it was like really, it made me feel very uncomfortable. And never taken my shirt off in a pool since. I say if you've got it, flaunt it. I didn't have it. And he was saying I didn't have it. The tone was quit showing off your chest, fatty. That was yeah, the tone. I, that's, ugh, I've had my own share of body shame for many, many years. I Well, I'm not really kidding about the swim costume thing. It's not an actual <laughs> swim costume. But for a long time, I absolutely wore a t-shirt in the pool. And if I went to like a water park and they had slides where it was, you know, your body and not when you were on an inner mm-hmm. tube and you had to take your shirt mm-hmm. off. I was like, no, thank you. I'll be at the snack bar. <laughs> Same. 
<laughs> no, I'll just watch. I'll take photos. Until recently, I have been liberated. I have accepted my body. Good for you. Recently, I went to Raging Waters within the past couple weeks, which is our local Southern California water park, water slide park. And I had a moment of redemption. I strutted around. I peacocked around that water park <laughs> with no shirt on. It was great. No shirt, no shame. No service. No shirt, no shame, no service. No cell service. Well, not if you're in the pool. Yeah. Don't want to bring your phone in the pool. It's a bad idea. I haven't actually swam in so long, and I don't... I really don't enjoy swimming. I don't know. I'm not an especially good swimmer, but, like, also... Living in LA, I don't know. It's still, it is a lot of body shame, probably. I'm not doing it, but I support you. Rate, well, thank you. You always do. Rate yourself as a swimmer on a scale from one to merman. <laughs> Ophelia. That's me on a scale of one to merman. I'm Ophelia drowning in the water. Ophelia, I feel ya. Yeah. Ophelia, I feel ya drowning. <laughs> I feel my lungs filling up with water. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not a great swimmer. On a scale of one to 10, I can't go underwater. I have to plug my nose still. So I love that. It's so stupid. No, yes. I'm not. One day I'll conquer swimming, but... Probably mostly that you don't want to get your hair wet. No, it's mostly that I don't like being in the sun. I don't like going out in the sun. I don't do really? any... You know what? Everybody freaks out like, oh, you don't swim. But I also don't play football. I also don't play basketball. You don't see me playing racquetball or volleyball on the beach. No, I don't do any of that. Thank you. I'm inside editing a podcast in my happy place. Well, that reminds me. I was about to say something, but it's going to make you mad. And I apologize okay. for that. But all, all right. Well, all I'm ready. I'm already there. I'm halfway there. <laughs> You're already full of rage, so I might as well just tip you over. I was taking a walk the other day, and I walked past a field with a bunch of kids playing baseball. And I wanted to just, like, stop and be like, you guys can all just admit that you hate this. Oh my God! Get out of here, David. And that it's Don't. boring, and that it's David, terrible, and that you I'm would r- rather just be like listening to Tori Amos or reading, because that is <laughs> not what I said to you when you told me about your awful excursion at Raging Waters. Like, why would you get wet in public bath water? Like, I didn't say that to you. <laughs> because that's leisure. I'm not like running around no. hitting a ball with a stick in the sun. No, baseball is America's pastime. If you don't out there, not David, because David's a lost cause with baseball, but. But if you want to learn the beauty about baseball, watch a game with me and I'll kind of point out everything to you. And like, I'm not a sports person, but I love watching baseball. There's so much drama in one single baseball game and I love it. I love it. But don't you think it became America's pastime when there was literally nothing else to do? So they designed a game that would take hours and hours and fill the day. And now we just don't have that problem. Yeah, they did do that, but it's still a great game. It's like the perfect game. Everything that I believe about in this world is in baseball. The fact that like if you lose, you can get up the next day and try again. They have a series built in for that. So you play a series of games with the same team, three or four sometimes. And it's so that if you fail one day, maybe you just didn't have it today. But tomorrow you could have it. And I love that. I love that redemption. I instill that in my life every day. I'm like, if we fail on Flying Dutchman, we'll try again with the pool. I don't think we failed on Flying Dutchman. But if we were to have wash your mouth out (laughs) (laughs) let's get to the pool david all right i'm ready to stick my toe in is it gonna be cold it's a heated pool (laughs) you just have to jump in i guess i shouldn't do that thing where i try to you know slowly ease my way in just jump it's always better i don't dive in i either like plop in with my nose plugged (laughs) or like i step down on the stairs now (laughs) long gone are the days where i would belly flop that teenage lifeguard ripped out the joy in my life oh my god your days of teenage belly flop hustling I wasn't a teenager. I was like 10. I was like 9. But you had lived. I was a child. You were always older than your years in terms of wisdom and experience. Because I look chubby? Is that what you're saying? No. 
So that teenager thought he could harass me. I didn't realize this was going to be such a triggering episode. Me either. <laughs> I kind of knew it was going to be triggering because of the things that we're about to talk about, but not triggering for me personally. Mm. So this is a trigger warning. This episode is going to touch on some themes of sexual assault and sexual violence. So just know that that's coming today in this episode. So if you are uncomfortable with that, please turn it off now. I suspect that you expect that in this podcast in general, just because it's Tori Amos and it's Little Earthquakes, you know, it's Little Earthquake season. So what was your first thoughts on the pool when you first heard it? Yeah, well, the first time I heard it was when I got that winter single, that hot winter single, U.S. limited that edition. hot limited edition that you could still buy new on the shelves? Yeah, with the handwritten lyrics. They have it at Best Buy right now, <laughs> Yeah, like 27 years later, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, it got kind of lost for me because it was such an oddity, and it still is. All these years later, it doesn't sound like anything else in Tori's catalog, but because it wasn't piano-centric, then I was just kind of like, hmm. I don't know. I wasn't in the mood to swim today. And I moved on to Upside Down and Take to the Sky. You know, how about you? I loved it. That was one of the singles my aunt bought me when we went to Hastings. And she was like, I'll buy you a CD. I'm like, what about all these little CDs? (laughs) So she bought me them. And I took it home. I, I remember putting on the winter single first and the pool's track two. And it was completely unlike anything on Little Earthquakes. Completely, like you said, still to this day, an anomaly in her catalog. However, A, it was so mystical and just so just evocative. And there was so much imagery going on. I just loved all of it. I loved everything about it. I was so moved by it. And then second, it revealed that, she, which I find to be not necessarily the case. Maybe Liquid Diamonds, maybe Choir Girl Hotel. She, Tori's very straightforward. I mean, even though sometimes her lyrics are dense and her lyrics aren't, they're very hard to extrapolate or, or understand if you don't have the lyric sheet in front of you and then even if you do they're hard to understand for a different reason but it told me something about her as an artist that she was like willing to take chances and then she was you should never relax you're never going to know what to expect from her so I don't know there was something so great about it and I remember listening to it and loving it and still I love it yeah it's haunting it's atmospheric Mm mm-hmm I feel like it gets a little bit lost, though, because her body of work is... The track itself? Yeah, her body of work is so vast, and it hasn't Mm -hmm. appeared in that many places. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people either, well, didn't know it existed in the first place, or have kind of forgotten about it. Until today. Until today, until you're listening to this right now. You probably remember the pool right now. I still... It didn't prove to be true, because... Do you know the, the genre shoegaze? Shoegaze is kind of like really heavy ambient guitar and really heavy like sounds and then the vocals themselves are like buried way under the, in the mix mm-hmm. so like you can't quite hear what they're saying but like they're shouting and it's just like this whole it's like takes over the room and that's how i feel about this song and tori typically mixes her vocals right on top tori typically mixes her words like as number one even at the expense of some piano playing sometimes you know like you when we are listening to the Yanta versions and we're realizing like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's because her vocals are like on top of it. We can't really hear it all the time. But here, no, here this was something different. And I wish she would do more of this. I wish she would do more productions like this. Yeah, well, I kind of feel like years out, this was a little bit of a sneak preview of Choir Girl and more so Venus. Uh-huh. Because Venus is the exception where her vocals are really buried. Mm-hmm. I think of something like Juarez where you can almost barely hear them. They're distorted, but also like buried in the mix. It's super interesting. And she's just creating like a sonic landscape that's not about just being able to like process the lyrics. I love when I reference a song and you do like a fade up acapella version under. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm dropping uh, off the edge again. Do you really not? 
like it is what no, you're telling I do. me? I was not being sarcastic. Oh, okay. Because the lifeguard said, quit showing off your chest, but we know what he meant. He meant show it more. He was jealous. He meant never show it again. No. Although, that's not the kind of person I am, because I'll drop clothes. I will get naked in front of almost anyone. <laughs> However, not at the pool. Not at the pool. Many shocked meet and greets. <laughs> we'll verify that. <laughs> yes. Well, should we talk about our guests today? Who is coming to the pool? Is it a public pool? It is a public pool, but it is a private event because it's only you and I here today. Okay. We did, and stop yelling me in my email, that person who wrote me five years ago and said, why didn't you even get Ian Stanley for the pool episode the first time? Because Ian Stanley is notoriously hard to find and doesn't even do interviews when you do find him, turns out. But I did find Steve Williams, the other guy listed in the credits, and he's not doing interviews either. Steve Psycho Williams? Yeah, Psycho Steve Williams. Mm. That's his uh, like nickname. Psycho He's Steve giving Williams. Andy Mental Wicked Gray a run for his money. Yes. Mental Wicked Psychos. Mm. I love audio dudes. I really do. Uh, I love calves too. Oh my God, I am Tori Amos. You are Tori Amos. <laughs> oh my God. I'm also Native American. Oh my God. My dad is not a minister, but he runs a pecan plant. That's basically the same. And pecans are my God. Tori loves a nut. <laughs> And of course, we have to say thank you to Shay. Don't be a shade. Gosh, what else can we even do with this song? Shay said. Shay said. <laughs> if I've heard it from her once, I've heard it a thousand times. <laughs> Shay Stymac, our historian, our librarian, our lifeguard. Thank you, Shay, for everything that you do. Mm, it's a shame that we... Never mind, sorry. <laughs> it's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. Shame. Girls, I have none. We said no shame, no service. We did. Well, since there's no covers of The Pool by Tori Amos, we are going to play right now a song called When the Sun Hits by an old shoegaze band called Slow Dive. This came out around the same time that The Pool came out, and I think it's got the same sort of vibe. And we should extend a challenge to the community to create a cover of Pool. All right, I'm trailing off.
Listen, on your biog at the top here, it says, who is Tori Amos? How would you describe yourself as a singer? Do you know I punched a journalist for that when I was in Australia? Right there, on <laughs> the kisser, on the kisser. No, I write my songs and I say what I'm thinking, but I kind of do it like a camera. Yeah. What perspective am I, am I going to take this from? Because, you, you know, there are only 10 thoughts, really. It's so. like jokes, only 15 jokes, there are only 10 thoughts. And, and what would you say? Give us five of them. Hunger. Anger, fear, love, and the word yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty difficult to write in a surreal fashion, isn't it? I don't consider myself just a surreal writer because mm. I'm biting your leg off at the same time as I'm like <laughs> making you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. It's, it's like... You know, insects, like their eyes, you know how they have them going all over the place. Yeah. It's having this with senses, so they're, you're feeling one thing, and you're also feeling another thing. Right. You know when you're laughing hysterically and something horrific is happening, and you're going, uh-oh, what does this make me? The Pool, written by Tori Amos, with voices by Tori Amos, produced by Ian Stanley, and mixed by Steve Williams appears on the following physical media. It first appears on the Winter UK CD and 7-inch vinyl single and the cassette single released on March 8th, 1992. It next appears on the German CD single released in March of 1992 and the USA limited edition maxi single CD and cassette that was released in November of 1992. That was the first batch of the pool. Which of those do you have, David? I have the UK, I believe, in USA Limited Edition. Oh, she's fancy. Okay, Internationale. Mm-hmm. I had to get an adapter for it. <laughs> really plug it in. Mm-hmm. The pool next appears on a piano in 2006 on Disc E, which actually opens Disc E. What an opener. Which is shocking. Yeah, it's a beautiful opener, and I love it at the beginning, but it was shocking that it was on that as the opener, Mm -hmm. simply because she'd never played it, she'd never really talked about it, or, you know, it wasn't a staple for it to open all of her B-Sides disc. I don't know. Do you think that was purely a sonic choice, or that she kind of forgot about it, too, and was like, the pool will have its moment, track one? I've always thought it was a sonic choice, because it does sound really good as like an opener. It's like an, It sounds like a prologue. You know Tara Kemp? She had that song, Just Wanna Hold You Tight, that song? Mm-hmm. Well, her album, Tara Kemp, had a prologue and an epilogue that were so evocative. And that actually, that's coming to mind now because of The Pool. It sounds, it doesn't, they don't sound similar to The Pool at all. And there's no lyrics in them. But it was a very early 90s thing to do. sort of mystical sort of sound. And I will remind you, and David, grab your trash can next to you so you can vomit, that Enigma Sadness Part 1 came out around this time. And it was still like all, it's all very in the same wheelhouse. Tell it, 
dare Dean you Wong. compare Dean Wong? No, Dean oh. Wong. oh my God, you're right. No, oh God, <laughs> you're so right. That will just send me into convulsions. I can't. Sigh, Dean Wong. No, it's so gross. And I think like it's supposed to... David's trigger is enigma. It is. It's supposed to... I don't know. Like you can tell they think it's like tantric sexy, but it's just disgusting. <laughs> I used to love it. Are you serious? To innocence. No. I did. I bought into it. I bought, I bought the Monks CD. Not the CD, the tape. The Monks. What were they? The, the Monks that would all, you know? <laughs> yes, chant. Yeah, the chanting monks, but they were called something else. I can't remember. But I bought those monks. I loved those monks. You had to, you had to call in. Like you had to dial a one eight hundred number to get those monks. What? You had, those to, you had to dial one eight hundred monk. No, you had to like call the number on television. Was it like a Time Life offer? Kind of, maybe. And I was, I just remember being really reckless with my parents' money. So <laughs> some things never change. <laughs> oh yeah, right. That ended quick. <laughs> How much cryptocurrency have you bought for them? None. The next time the pool appears is on Little Earthquakes Deluxe Edition Remastered, released in April 2015. And that's all she swam. Where did this song come from and where did it go? I don't know. And I feel like this might have been a studio, like, obviously it was born in the studio with Ian Stanley and... You know, he's Tears for Fears, Ian Stanley. Let's get a little into Ian Stanley, should we? Okay. He's into us, so why not? He's not into us, otherwise he'd be here, David. He's playing hard to get. Ian Stanley, born February 28th, 1957, is an English musician, songwriter, and record producer. He was previously a member of the English band Tears for Fears for most of the 1980s and played a key role in the making of their multi-platinum selling second album, Songs from the Big Chair. After offering them free use of his recording facility, which I believe is called the Wool Hall, Stanley became a member of Tears for Fears, contributing on synthesizers, drum machines, organ, pianos, and backing vocals on their first three albums. He also co-wrote with Roland Orzabal many of their songs from the period 83 through 85 and was a part of the production team during this era as the band worked with producer Chris Hughes at their studio, the Wool Hall in Bath. He has appeared in several Tears for Fears music videos, including Change, Shout, Mother's Talk, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Head Over Heels. They have a lot of good songs. They yeah. did. I think Change is my favorite. Really? Yeah. Shout is my favorite. Mm. I love Shout. 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 Let it all out. These are the things I can do without. Come on. I'm talking to you. Come on. Following the success of Songs from the Big Chair, Stanley collaborated with Roland Orbazal on the 86 side project Man Crab, releasing a single Fish for Life, which was made for the soundtrack of the film The Karate Kid Part 2. Stanley also began working on Tears for Fears' third album, The Seeds of Love, but along with producer Chris Hughes, left the project due to creative differences. His more prominent contributions to this album, however, can be heard on the hit single, Sowing the Seeds of Love. I love that song. Oh, yeah. Since the 80s, Stanley has produced such artists as, get ready, 
Are you ready for this? Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, Aha, The Pretenders, Howard Jones, Ultra, Republica, Naomi Coleman, Stephanie Kirkham, Natalie Imbruglia, Propaganda, The Human League, and Tori Amos. He also contributed to the Sisters of Mercy re-recording of Temple of Love, an additional production on Under the Gun. Stanley also did A&R for Warner's East-West Records, but left in 1998. And that's where we believe he was doing A&R at the time that they decided she needed to work with somebody on this single, and that's what I think they were like excited to work together. There's two really rocking musicians, you know, mm-hmm. and she was very collaborative back then and very experimental. And like, you know, she was coming off of YKTR. You know, she would she liked her sounds. She makes interesting noises, sometimes all sorts of noises. Remember that Leno interview, Butterfly? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do remember. You make great noises. That's terrific. Um, yeah, sometimes kind of all sorts of noises. No, no, but that's good. That's good. I mean... I'm always curious to know how much of this was Ian Stanley, like what he brought to the table on this. Well, given how synth-heavy it is, I have to imagine that he influenced it to some degree. Mm -hmm. Do you Mm -hmm. think that this was born out of necessity, kind of like Sugar, and they decided to do something a little more experimental and left of center, certainly compared to the rest of the little earthquake sound? If they were in a pinch, they needed a song, and they came up with this kind of on the fly? Because it's never mentioned, certainly not mentioned with the rest of what became B-sides, like Flying Dutchman, Upside Down, for, you know, originally considered for inclusion on the album. It seems like Mm -hmm. an outsider, so... I was going to say, like, if it were originally born on the maxi single, like, you could only be a maxi single with a certain number of tracks, you know? And if it were originally born for the maxi single, the U.S. maxi single, the limited edition one, then maybe. Then maybe if they needed a song in a pinch and, like, let's just do something wild. But because it was born originally on the U.K. version, literally, as the B-side on the vinyl, you have one side winter and the other side the pool. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Winter. Winter melts and then you have the pool. Maybe the snow melts in winter and becomes the pool. Yeah. Some things are melting now. Yeah. Didn't you have like a wall catch on the China single? (laughs) It was like China and then Humpty Dumpty. sat on a wall. That's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I think the snow melted and became the pool. It's possible. It's just such an interesting choice. And it's such an absolute opposite choice of winter. that Mm. I feel like that has to have something to do with it. I don't know. I feel like this song is icy to me the sound of it oh like is very barren and icy yeah i hear that mm-hmm. to me i see i wouldn't use icy i would use like i feel cold but like you know like in twin peaks when like the night shots go over the water and there's almost steam yeah. rising. yeah that's interesting because obviously it's called the, the pool so we know that this is water and it's liquid form um <laughs> <laughs> but i've always thought of like I don't know. I almost imagine... um, Like a frozen pond? Yeah, but also kind of like um, Superman's Fortress of Solitude. A crystal palace, if you will, Mm. Mm -hmm. um, to continue to tie it to winter. It sounds like we're almost kind of inside a structure. And like these haunting voices are kind of like reverberating off these glass or maybe ice walls. I don't know. That's kind of always what I've heard. You know that painting of Ophelia where she's like in the water dead, drowned? She's Mm -hmm. drowned, but she's got like her hands up. Yeah. That's what I see mm. when I hear this song. Not, that makes not sense. like the classical image of it, but like a woman laying in the pool like that and then slowly sinking down. As she extends she's her open. hand up to you for help? No, she's dead. Oh, she's dead. <laughs> maybe she's dead. No, maybe she's not dead. All right. Well, you are a horrible lifeguard. A lifeguard shaming episode. <laughs> No, I don't think she extends a hand for help. I think she just floats away, floats down to the bottom, like where from whence she came, like mm. she always existed there. And then there's like multiple faces reflected in like the fractal light against the water. Mm. 
Ooh, she got. She said science. Did you ever see the Ewoks movie? Mm-mm. I don't There's, know what that is. It's yes. Well, you know what Ewoks are, right? I actually do not. Yes, you do. This is getting I weird. I do not. They're Star Wars characters. I've never seen Star Wars. But you know what Ewoks are. I don't know what an Ewok is. Oh, come on. I'm being honest. I don't know what an Ewok is, but okay. Call me a liar on our own show, David. Keep calling me a liar. <laughs> Everyone, start writing angry emails right now. <laughs> I just like when you pretend to be like very cultured and above like the American milieu of the era when you were born. You're like, Ewok? You say, what is this Ewok? <laughs> Mogwai? <laughs> I don't, I'm not pretending to be above it, Gabies and Davies listening. I simply do not know, and I'm not interested in science fiction movies, so I just never got around to seeing it. I'm not really either, but I have eyes, and they are open to <laughs> movies. Um, <laughs> well, fine. Fine. Anyway, this... there's a scene that was very scary to me when I was a little kid involving like a pond in the Ewok movie where one of the characters touches it, and then like instantly like by making contact with it becomes trapped under the surface and the top becomes like glass or solid ice and he can't get out. I kind of always think of that too with this song. Oh, wow. That's scary. It is scary. Are the Ewoks the ones that look like gizmos, but like taller? Kind of. They're taller. They're more like bears. Like their ears are rounded and they wear little hoods. Oh yeah. They look like mops. Oh, maybe not. Maybe we're not thinking of the same. What are the ones that look like mops? I don't know, some kind of Muppet? No, they're from, I think they're from Star Wars. I don't know, do, you mean they have like long, like braidy hair to look like, I don't know. No, not braidy, but it's not, it's like furry. I don't know. They're like, they look like the little short guys. <laughs> and like, Do they look like, are you thinking of Fry Guys? Because I always am. Fry Guys? The Fry Guys from McDonald's? No, I'm not thinking about the Fry Guys from McDonald's. Are you thinking of the Hamburglar? Like, <laughs> I'm not thinking of the Hamburglar okay. for once. <laughs> Let's just eliminate all the possibilities. I always identify with the Hamburglar when I was young because I wanted all the burgers too. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like wiggling your fingers in anticipation. Mm-hmm. And the lighting in my telling of the pool is always dark blue. Like the lighting. It's like the dark blue night sky. Well, you're from the theater, and that's how you create night yeah. on the stage. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, a lot of rich green hues, and then, like, a lot of shadow. Yeah. Like, okay. it's that kind of pull to me. Assign that atmosphere. It's not like an ice castle. Assign, okay, I guess you've already kind of done it, but assign that atmosphere in this song to a season. Um, Early November mm. or, or early December. So kind of late fall, early winter, but, yeah. it's, but it's definitely cold. But the snow has not yet fallen. Maybe the snow will fall tonight. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, queen. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's definitely significance applied to this pool because it's the pool, not even a pool. It is You're so right. the pool. The pool. And it feels to me, I don't know why, but it feels to me in the titling of the pool and it always has just kind of been accepted or like given circumstance that it is a pool that we all find ourselves in. It is the pool that like, that there's something there that we all find ourselves in that pool. Hmm. And it's like, not, I don't want to say a universal pool, but like it is, it is a, it is an experience or it is a, an emotion or it is a situation, but eventually we've all been there and have to get out. So when it was the pool, and not maybe just not seeing the title, but once hearing it, you know, and like putting like the whole song together, I just felt like it was something that I have been in in my life. Yeah, I almost imagine the collective unconscious, kind of all mm-hmm. these swirling voices. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. Like the before time, like when you are deciding where to go in your next life. Yeah, it's like the pool of souls. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Which I'm excited to get into the line by line today because we can, you know, it's such a short line by line. We could do it several times with several different interpretations. Right. And we had to have this conversation yeah. about the title up front because the phrase, the pool, is not mentioned in the lyrics. So it's not. It's not. It's just sound. It's But here's the thing, too, is like coming off of winter on the winter single, surprisingly, too, is that winter sounds like it sounds cold. It sounds like the snow is falling. I don't know how. I don't know why. But it sounds cold. Right. Mm -hmm. The pool sounds like I'm in that pool of souls, like you said. And she's just so good at doing that. And I don't. I don't know what, whether it's the technical, like how she's playing the notes or like the exact key or like the, the fact that she's doing high notes at the beginning of winter makes it sound like snow's falling, but there's something there that makes she's just, it's so, the music is so evocative of the title in these two yeah, instances. Yeah, it can really transport you somewhere. Could you imagine winter, like falling in love with the song winter on the radio and you're like, oh, because it's the UK single. So you're like, oh, love, I adore that bloody winter song. And so then you go and you buy the single on the back of Sweet Dreams. No, you needed something really weighty, I think. Yeah. But different, but different. You couldn't handle another ballad. You know? I think this is a great, and maybe, maybe you just answered the question. Maybe they felt like they needed a transitional song. As they were mm -hmm. as they were crafting the single, and they were like, "We can't go from winter into like this kind of percussion-heavy sweet dreams, take or even take to the sky." Yeah, yeah, that's actually good. We I answered a question. You did. You oh asked, asked, and answered, or maybe I asked. I don't know. One of us asked, and one of us answered, but it was me who answered. So you must have been the one. Who All right. Asked. Well, let's not keep score. Well, I'm. What am I going to do with this index card? Guess <laughs> I'll throw it away. Eat it. <laughs> okay. No. no, 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 no. <laughs> from Pitchfork magazine on april 16th 2015 the following was written about the pool are you ready for this david i'm ready leading with a disc-long alternate version of earthquakes amos's 2006 box set a piano the collection already argued that upside down and flying dutchman both segerson produced string wrapped efforts equaled most everything that made the cut here, those fan favorites better complement Amos's impulsive material, like Sweet Dreams, which rewrites David Bowie's panic in Detroit as a Gaelic jig. David, keep that under your hat. We're going to talk about that. And The Pool, an eerie excursion in extended, overdubbed vocal tones that proved Amos boasted the harmonic chops to become a credible avant-garde classical composer. Well, first I have to say that Upside Down is not a string-wrapped effort. And if it was, they needed to put in more effort because I can't hear them. You can't hear them, David? No, I can't. David, they're right there. You must have lost a lot of your high end. I probably I probably have. It's yeah. from listening to Jagged Little Pills so much when it came out. Yeah, she's so trebly. Like, mm -hmm. come on. Yeah, they're there. They're beautiful. I'll play them for you. I'll isolate them for you and I'll send them to you. I don't like this. It's like a magic eye picture. Like, what? You can't see it? Oh, it's embarrassing and sad for you. <laughs> you can't hear the string arrangement? You can't yeah. hear this, the beautiful violin solo? Your life must feel so empty. No, no, no. It's not It's not that good. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Fine. You, You'll just worry. never it's understand the depth of human emotion that I'm capable of understanding. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you lost your high end. You listen to Lannis. Making um, <laughs> up for it with my low end. Was that a butt joke? No. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so... This is what I was saying earlier, is that when I was listening to the song, it revealed that there was, this is exactly what I meant 
that it showed that she had the harmonic chops to become a credible avant-garde classical composer. And that's what I was like, you don't know what to expect from this artist. She's going to go, she's going to be all over and it's going to be amazing, right? Mm -hmm. But it didn't end up being that way. Not that she's a bad composer. She's an amazing composer. Why are we here? But she's not necessarily, I wouldn't call her an avant-garde composer. Whereas if there was But the point is she could be if she wanted to. Exactly. No, she could be. And she can and has been in certain instances, but like it's always been pretty straightforward piano compositions with a band, possibly maybe some production and vocals at the top of the mix. So that's not necessarily avant-garde. You know, there's no like Philip Glass moments where it's just like bing, 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 you know, nothing like that. You know what I mean? Bing, 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 bing. Bing, 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 bing. No, there's nothing. Are you sure that wasn't the beginning of All the Girls Hate Her? Oh, maybe there is a Philip Glass moment. Why didn't you read this from Polari Magazine, David, where they ranked in anticipation of her upcoming Unrepentant Geraldine's album, Andrew Darley ranked all of her B-sides, his top 10 B-sides, and he put Pool at number seven. Why don't you read what he had to say? At number seven, that is a shockingly high rank. Number seven out of all of her B-sides. I know. Yeah. This B-side saw Tori immerse herself in an experiment with voice and how it can be used as an instrument. With an elusive title, she layers both hushed sighs and high notes in a way that gleams and swirls as though it's being played on musical glasses. It's an entrancing moment that features an ethereal atmosphere she can master, sounding as fluid and mystical as the pool she sings of. I think that's right. I mean, that's pretty accurate. I'm, I'm shocked that it's so high on his list of B-sides. It's great. It is really, really great. Uh, I love the pool. Under-fucking-rated. Under-fucking-rated. We should make a pool t-shirt. We should. Just to be fair, this song has nothing to do with placing bets, right? <laughs> or, like, decide when someone's going to give birth. I don't think we would have done very well placing a bet on this song never being played live, because I would have guessed that it was never going to see the light of day, and it was. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. I have a whole theory about that, and don't destroy my live lounge reveal this time. I, I won't. Whole theory. I'm not going to shoot holes in your theory or your happiness. Well, thank you, or in my lounge. Um, no, I have a theory about that, that she has played it before, and oh, I'm, I'm ruining my theory. Uh I have a theory about it. We'll get to it in the live lounge. Okay. This is from Billboard Magazine, written January 13th, 1996. And it's just a little bit about Tori working with Ian Stanley. Max Hole, managing director of East West, which you'll recall was her UK distribution label, said, she's not someone to whom you have to say, I'm not sure about that middle eight. She does what she wants to do. We had an influence on mixing, as did Ian Stanley, the A&R executive, but really she made the kind of record she wanted to. We allow her the space to do what she wants to do. What kind of influence do you think they had on mixing on Boys for Pele? I think Max Hole's just remembering other people that have worked with her, and there were very few. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Davit, Ian, Eric. Who else? That was it. Those were her producers. And maybe he meant sequencing, you think? Maybe. And by influence, it's not even a good influence because when we get into Dublin and she cut it from that album or Sucker, she was trying to make Sucker a single and then she cut it from the album because they wanted her to put guitar. They wanted her to do all these things with it. So she just like lost it forever. Mm-hmm. She was like, whoopsie. I don't know where that went. Has anyone seen Sucker? I just don't. Oh, weird. Maybe he meant we had a bad influence on the mixing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are all the quotes, David. Should we get to the line by line? Yeah, we have no choice. We spent enough time in the shallow end. You haven't eaten in the last half hour, have you? No, not for days. Me either. In preparation, I wanted to be swimsuit ready. Okay.
one with her hands. It's interesting to note about this line that in the booklet for winter, it's listed as one with her hands and then open as the next line. But in the lyrics book, it says one with her hands open all is one line, mm. which changes for me, changes the meaning. So I've always interpreted one with her hands you know, Tori was at that time in 1992 really talking about female sexuality. So my first interpretation of this song was she is one with her hands, that mm-hmm. it is sort of like a precursor to the idea of icicle, which we'll get into. You know, I felt like she was touching herself and that she was open. So you hear kind of like being at one with her hands? Yeah, like she is in this moment, like peaceful. U2 song one had come out at that time and I felt like one with her hands was just like I am at peace and not only that but I'm also in my mind what's coming back to me from that time is Sophie B. Hawkins had gone on Jay Leno and had done Damn I Wish It Was Your Lover and he Mm -hmm. asked what her album meant Tongues and Tails and she said well if I were to have a sex change operation I'd have them install a tail and then my tail would go up high and point to things I wanted and it would come so high that it would touch my tongue and it would be the tip of my tongue my tail and like a circular energy is what she was talking about Mm -hmm. that her tongue would touch her tail and have that circular energy and so those two like those were just cultural references of the moment and I felt one with her hands was like she is having that circular energy with mm-hmm. her body communing with oneself yes and that she was open like she was communing with herself and that she was open but mm. the difference in one with her hands next line open that's what that was to me but now one with her hands open yeah I've always heard it I could definitely see that and I like that interpretation I just happen to have always seen it as the other female character in the song kind of beckoning the narrator forward with open hands that's what it means to me with one with her hands open all is one line Mm -hmm. yes like she's calling her someone's calling her forth yeah it's interesting because we haven't talked about any characters in the song but you just mentioned the other female characters so you see two female characters in this song yes it does feel to me like very Snow White, Wicked Witch moment, you know, mm. like that kind of like fingernail sort of someone not a good person is calling forth. Why do we feel that way? The next line. Don't be afraid, she said. No one will know it. Just you and me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that bit of dialogue paired with the way the song sounds, like it's definitely evocative and there's something sinister happening. For sure. There's kind of an element of secret keeping and we have to assume that whatever's happening here is not good. Yes. I feel like, too, as we've come to know Tori in the 30 years since the song, and taking all of that knowledge and using it to analyze the song, I feel like when she is speaking about her most important or private matters, it gets very, you know, she uses a lot of quotation marks and they get very dense. Like things get hidden, almost uninterpretable. Like she's purposely being opaque. Mm. 
I would agree with that. And I think there are certain moments from her life or subjects that she does not want to be questioned on. So she really does her best to kind of shroud those moments. Right. And that to me makes in the intervening 30 years makes so much sense to me why this song sounds how it does if because these lyrics are pretty clear don't be af- I mean they're not clear like we don't know what's going on but don't be afraid she said no one will know it just you and me so something's going on whether good or bad but it sounds bad in the music sure does sound bad sounds sinister mm-hmm. and eerie like you said and maybe that's why it's so vocally layered because she's not she's being very clear in the lyrics but you can't quite hear it you know you can't you wouldn't make it out just if you were a casual listener you know you have to really dive in uh-huh. no pun intended yeah and there's almost like a second movement of the song mhm like it almost sounds like it's over yeah and then like the synths kind of shriek again so the way there are so few lyrics it's just like a little stanza really but the way that the lyrics are sung and the way that the song is produced plus the way the phrasing is kind of like vivisected by the actual structure of the song it makes it hard to follow if you're just listening to it so again trying to get to the meaning i think it's all kind of an effort to make that as challenging as possible Yeah, exactly. And because the lyrics are so clear, or pretty straightforward, rather, that everything else has to obscure it. Mm. That's just what I sense. I have to say, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, what your experience was when you heard the song before, because Mm -hmm. we have no context for this song. She's never said anything about it. And that was Uh particularly true when I first heard it on the winter single. So I don't know if it was because it was paired with winter or what was coloring my perception, but I've always experienced the narrator or the main character in the song as being a child. And I don't know exactly why. If you look at the lyric, no one will know it, just you and me. That to me has always held some sort of trigger, like some sort of key of sexual abuse. So even if it's not sexual abuse, like the only other time that I can imagine that being said in my life, no one will know it, just you and me. The only other time is when I'm a teenager, like closeted teenager and messing around with another boy. You know, that's the only other time in my life that this phrase would ever have been uttered, Mm -hmm. you know? So to me, this is either sexual violence or sexual discovery. And it's so hard to pinpoint and the lyrics can go either way. If you really look at this with a a sharp lens on sexual violence, you're not going to have a hard time supporting that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I have to say, you know, what precedes it, don't be afraid, sort of colors that for me too, because that, you know, sort of pictures the other character being at least a little bit older mm-hmm. and kind of wielding some influence over the younger person it's power. not like it's not like a teenage couple kind of exploring for the first time there's you know there's like i'll use that word again like a coaxing or an influencing to try to convince someone of something that again is all just very kind of unsavory and pairing it with these last lines go back like this person is i feel like that shows that it's this moment in time give me what i want and i'll leave you alone 
don't be afraid when it's over i'll go back like when we're done you won't see me again Mm. you know that's what makes it feel so sinister yeah I almost feel like, too, that this song is capturing the memory of an incident rather than the incident itself, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, it sounds so shrouded and misty, and that's because it's like a half memory or a half picture of what happened. Yeah. And the person is, like, remembering it through this kind of haze. And I almost think, like, I'll go back, like, I'll go back into kind of, like, the abyss of memory, like, buried. Like, I just don't, like, this memory just emerged for a second, almost. And she's so skilled at capturing, like, the avant-garde harmonies that they talk about. They are so evocative of that of it being this half memory, you know, where it's fuzzy in your mind. And like when you're trying to call forth, the harder you try to call forth something, the harder it is to actually see clearly, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, you're really trying to remember what happened. And, you know, with incidents in my life where I'm trying to really remember what happened, it's harder and harder the more I a need to know or try to know or like try to like lift the fog or lift the veil. You know, it just gets it's harder and harder each time. And I think that this song lives there. Yeah. This just feels like a repressed trauma to me mm-hmm. that yeah. surfaced unexpectedly. I agree. I and like agree. you said, like you try to force yourself to remember more or to see more clearly. And then it just sort of mm-hmm. slips through your fingers. Mm hmm. So in our pre-conversation, David and I talked a little bit about this and where we were going to kind of go, and we found some supporting documentation. This is from Die Zeit in Germany. So German newspaper means the time or the moment. November 11th, 1999. Tori said, The nightmares agonize me since my childhood. I am the daughter of a Methodist preacher, and as a child, I was sexually abused by a friend of the family. I think that the nightmares are telling me things about me I need to know, and I try to understand what they mean. Maybe so I can get to know something more about my soul. Mm-hmm. And David's brought that quote to our attention as one of the only times that she mentions anything like this. And it feels to me when she says, the nightmares agonize me since my childhood, and I try to understand what they mean, maybe so I can get to know something more about my soul. That, to me, is the interpretation of this song. Like yes. It sounds like a nightmare. It does. You're absolutely right. Why don't you read this from Diva magazine, February, March, 1996, Piano Sexual was the name of the article. Tori says, I had a strange incident with a girl when I was eight. It was a bit violent, a bit sexual. She was a little older than me. She held me down on the bathroom floor, made me take my clothes off, and fell on top of me. There are women now in my life I love and am in love with, but it hasn't gotten physical. I experienced it at such a young age when I wasn't ready. A boundary was crossed, and maybe I drew a boundary consciously. Again, a topic that she hasn't really brought up before or since and it came out in diva magazine which is an lgbtqi magazine out of the uk in promo for boys for pele but we think it's important to bring up in terms of like interpreting this song because i feel like this song is coming from that incident or can certainly be interpreted that way what do you think yeah a couple things first we have to say that these are two like relatively obscure publications european publications right so Mm -hmm. it stands to reason that they're not getting as much attention as if she talked about this in rolling stone or something yeah nevertheless i find it a little surprising that as far as we know these are kind of the only two places where tori has ever talked about any instances of abuse or trauma in childhood right Other than that, you know, the narrative is usually about me and a gun. And we know that that story kind of came from her 20s. 
in the 80s in Los Angeles. So there are other things happening, and we talk about threads of violence in Tori's work. We have to believe that based on these quotes that they're not always just about kind of that me and a gun narrative, that there are other things at play. Yeah, and it even opens up the me and a gun narrative to be, I don't know, maybe reinterpreted in a way. You know, there's still that whole section that I never really felt at peace with my interpretation of, which is for you, your friends, your father, Mr. Ed, you know, Mm. that whole section to me feels like something. And so it's important to know that like, uh, or it's important to at least discuss because of the interpretation of the song, but it's obviously important to respect. That goes without saying though, right? Yeah, but we have this in print and she offered it. So it's okay to talk about it. Obviously this is an uncomfortable topic and not one that she's talked about frequently, but she has talked about it. And I feel like it's not everything is so black and white and not everything is so A leads to B. Like me, this one thing happened and so I wrote me and a gun and me and a gun is exactly about that one thing. I feel like Tori's entire, just being a minister's daughter and just having that repression in her life, that sexual repression in her life, that's an act of sexual violence too, you know? Not being allowed to express yourself as a woman or as a girl freely. So I feel like all of that is a thread in her music and Mm -hmm. it's all mixed together and i think it's okay to talk about it i agree and i think we did address this a bit on the mean a gun episode we sort of explored that idea of tori as storyteller Mm -hmm. and that that song may have been about multiple incidents Mm -hmm. and it's kind of an amalgamation uh, Mm -hmm. of experiences that may include what we're talking about here yeah i watched this video on youtube recently of this woman walking down maybe it was on TikTok, but it was this woman walking down a street and this man walked behind her for 45 minutes and she took out her phone and recorded the whole thing and eventually had to find a group of people to be with like a group safety in numbers and said to them on camera with herself filming her face and the guy behind her stalking her for 45 minutes had to say something like this guy's been following me can you guys just be with me because this guy won't leave me alone and then of course you know then he left that is an act of like fear like that fear i can't imagine being a woman in society and like of course it's like a threat of everything you know multiple incidents and even like just the the fear yeah that fear and like intimidation there's even like an element of intimidation or like we said influence in the pool don't be afraid if i'm looking at the snow white sort of witch narrative i just feel like her bony long fingers with the long black nails all over my neck and i just feel gross Mm -hmm. i have a question for you do you think the incident with the other young girl that she mentions in diva and the family friend that she mentions in the other article do you think those are the same person do you think that's the same incident or are those things separate i hope they're the same incident i hope that she's you know i hope that this is an isolated case in her life you know it would be sad to think that there's multiple cases of sexual abuse but i don't know i actually was gonna ask you the same question i don't know i hope it's the same incident you know an isolated single incident is what i would hope for her We can't know, but just based on the language, I feel like they're not the same. And I feel like because she specifically said, she feels the need to say, I'm the daughter of a Methodist preacher. And as a child, I was sexually abused by a friend of the family. That to me speaks to it being an adult. And we're talking about this in such detail because, well, it's relevant to the song. And we're looking at 
you know, kind of the sources that we have in front of us, but I think it's going to come up again as we continue to talk subsequent songs in Tori's catalog, but specifically Icicle. I think there's a lot going on in that song, far more so than Tori lets on when she talks about it. And we kind of want to lay the groundwork for that too. And I, at this point, I just kind of want to pose that I experienced the pool, Icicle, and Climb as a trilogy. I'm actually not disputing that. I feel like that is an astute observation. And I think the subject matter of all three of those songs, I do feel like it's very similar. And I would even go and add Black Dove in some ways as a quadrology. Mm, Okay, that makes sense to me. Are there any other interpretations that you might have that you think the song might support? I mean, as we talked about earlier, if we want to talk about other interpretations, we talked earlier about the pool of souls, right? This sort of pool where everybody goes to and then they choose their own existence. You know, this idea that you choose your life that you're going to live and then you kind of go into your being. You know, I recently read The Journey of Souls by Michael Newton and... You know, there's there's a world where this song, I think, can support that or the interpretation of this song can support that, especially if you can't recall your soul experience as you're having your human experience. So don't be afraid to go down there. Don't be afraid. You're choosing your lesson. You're going into the body and no one will know it. Like you're not going to have that soul memory. And when it's over, you can come back. So there's like, there's an interesting way that this song could very much be about the journey of souls. And the journey of souls was written back in 1992 prior to that. So I think actually, no, I think it was written in 1994, but still like the idea of choosing your human experience wasn't new to that book. So, well, I could see that kind of this is the green room, maybe. Yeah, kind of. And we had a similar discussion on the mother episode. Mm -hmm. So considering that, I could see this being sort of tied to mother in that way. But then also, I mean, it still doesn't support the, in my mind, no one will know it, just you and me, except for the divine creator or possibly the pool master who guides you towards your future existence or or your next life which actually michael newton talks about in that book journey of souls he does talk about that when we return back to the pool if you will or when we return back into our soul consciousness that we do have a soul guide or a soul teacher that is sort of a more advanced entity or a more advanced being that is helping us, that we walk towards, you know how you have that thought of walking towards the light? That's who we're walking towards, is that guide. That might be, no one will know, just you and me. The only other person who might know. Mm. And then when it's over, life, you'll go back. And it's like this constant cycle, almost infinite. Well, I can see that. And in terms of any other interpretations, you know, Tori talks about mythology quite a bit. And she specifically references the river Styx. So I can see the song also being about death um, or at least Mm. a metaphorical death. But because it is so like misty, I'll say, like the sound of the song, I can picture like the river Styx and this figure extending her hand being kind of like, you know, the boatman or boatwoman carrying souls over. That's interesting, too. It's still not as compelling to me or is on the nose to me. It doesn't feel right to me. But yeah. I agree. I mean, it, it still supports it. I just feel like this is one of those moments where Tori has, let's say, decided to hide something in plain sight. Like it's all yeah. there on the page and it seems pretty clear. Yeah. There's quotation marks even in the lyrics book. So yeah, it's not really open to interpretation in that way. Well, good talk, David. As usual, 
Anything else? Are we happy with that? Kind of leaving it here? It feels unresolved to me, but that makes sense because I really do believe that this song is tied to at least two, maybe three or more others. So Yeah, I feel like the song is unresolved. Like the song is just a moment. The song is, even though eventually the person that is harming the other person leaves and when it's over, I'll go back. She hasn't left. And when it's over... It's not over yet. And when mm-hmm. it's over, I'll go back. She's just, mm-hmm. we're just getting into the moment, the into the, into the trauma. And then we kind of cut away. Over, yeah. And then exactly. And then we kind of like close the door and the little child is in the room and it's really sad. I saw this mm. horrifying play when I was in Edinburgh, Scotland in 2015, an amazing production Uh, you know edinburgh the fringe festival everything is wild and wacky and this particular play it was 15 people audience members 15 audience members could see this play and you had to wait you had to meet every like 30 minutes at this one spot and then the van would pick you up this big passenger van would pick you up and would take you to this house in edinburgh that was sort of like you know it was a big house and that was where the play was and you didn't think anything of it because you saw it in the thing you're like this will be you'll they'll transport you to this place and you'll see the play okay and we were there i was there on time you know we're waiting and then we get into the van and two people are missing and this woman comes running up like i'm sorry i'm late i'm sorry i'm late gets in the van with her daughter they get in the van and the little girl's so cute and like so friendly and talking to everybody the whole time you know like everybody you know it's edinburgh's friendly place everybody's like super what have you seen at this festival you know what should i see etc and the little girl you know she's about 11 12 whatever maybe a little younger even really chatty so we get to this house to see the play and the mother that had run behind the van the one that was late we get to the house to see the play and the mother goes into the bedroom of this house with the guy in the house and we're all just kind of sitting there and then comes back out and the little girl goes into the bedroom and then you suddenly realize that this mother has sold her daughter to this person Mm. in this house and it's about sex trafficking and this was all a part of the play and you had gotten to know this little girl and it was just really traumatizing and it was really an amazing production but it was really hard to live through and so i feel like that moment where the door closes is where we're left and nothing is resolved and you can't feel good about it at the end yeah you know i'm sorry that was a long story but i felt like it was appropriate have you seen the movie tell me who i am it's on netflix no i don't know that i would say i recommend that you watch it but it's very similar to kind of what you just described. And it's a really harrowing watch. It's a documentary, but it's really compelling, mind-blowing, shocking. So you have to be prepared for what you're going to see. But um, yeah, it's worth watching kind of as a companion piece to this conversation, maybe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just kind of the way you described a moment, the pool definitely feels like a moment. Yeah. And I'm kind of reminded of the way she talked about Beauty Queen. Yeah. And to me, like when you listen to the pool, we're in that moment every time. It's like unfurling, even if it's like a hazy memory of that moment. Mm -hmm. So I want to read that quote from Musician Magazine about Beauty Queen, because I think it so applies 
here to the pool. When you hear Beauty Queen, you're hearing this girl in the moment. She's standing in the bathroom watching those girls put on that lipstick. I don't want us to be talking to her 15 minutes later about what she realized in that bathroom. I wanted to go back to that moment in the bathroom. It's white. It's that funny fluorescent light. It's that tile with the green crud in between. It's those old toilets with the beautiful handles. You can hear the sound of the water dripping. Time doesn't exist in that moment. I wanted you to feel that kind of swimming when you're almost coming back from 15 feet underwater and you're coming up and you're almost up. That's what it's like in that bathroom. That's what I hear with the pool. Yeah. Like we're trapped underwater. Yeah. Maybe literally, and maybe that's why it's called the pool, not because the memory or the incident actually involves a physical pool, but because there's kind of that feeling of drowning. I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never thought there was a physical pool. Like, mm-hmm. I never thought there was, like, the incident ever involved any kind of water. I just felt like the pool, I think it is this suspended moment because you can sort of float in that water and you're mm-hmm. floating in that moment always. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they don't sound similar, but they do have similar qualities beauty queen in the pool i think so i think there's a tension in both Mm -hmm. of them for sure Mm -hmm. and almost like a storm waiting to break and like if tori had layered any of her vocals in beauty queen had even done like a harmony side or a harm like a backing vocal track it would be eerily similar in a way Mm -hmm. so should we listen to the music okay
Welcome back to the lounge, David. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. <laughs> why not? Today's lounge is outdoor. It's an outdoor lounge. It's right here by the pool. We're sitting in a kiddie pool outside on the front lawn. We are. I have pictures of myself and my dad sitting in a kiddie pool. Both of you together? But I was like one. I literally was one. And there's another picture where I'm squirting like the water hose on his head. Like uh -huh. I had the best time doing that, I guess. You were a water baby. You love to go to the public pool. We talked about that. <laughs> oh, God. Don't bring that story up. Maybe you should get back into swimming as part of your self-care. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Case closed. <laughs> We want to start this live section off with a little bit from an interview that Noah Michelson had with Tori Amos on November 8th, 2017, after Tori Amos played the pool for the only time on record in her career life. So let's play the interview first. Uh, but speaking of last night, you did the pool, which you've never done before. I've never done it. No, and I don't, yeah, we talked about this last night. You were surprised that you had never done I'm it I'm surprised that I never did it. Yeah. But so not even in the in the nineties. No, never. Wow, isn't that crazy? That is crazy because I wasn't consciously aware that I'd never done it. Right. I thought way back, maybe somewhere in Germany. Yeah, no. Or Sydney. Yeah, no. Or Scotland, I dropped it in there. Right. But so my question for you is, do you have a concept of which of your songs are like super rare and, and fans are waiting for you to play them? No, probably not. I okay. mean, I'm sure I might guess one or two one or two yes but why don't we let's talk about that well, yeah i mean a song like you've never done blue skies the song you did with pt yes you know so i feel like if you did something like that people would freak out fair enough you know i just think there's these little things like the other night you did sister janet into daisy dead pedals right like for the average fan that's insanity you know what i mean that's not like you playing lost into leather like songs right. that you play a lot. I'm trying to get better at that now because I think, I think that, I, did you say this to me yesterday? Maybe. That that it does make a gig. It kind of helps define what that show, yeah. what the narrative of that show is that night, and it gives gives it those roots. Exactly. Where you say, oh, that was the pool. Yes. Show. That happened in New York, 2017. Like. Last night will go down in history as the night you played the pool. But see, then the pressure is to keep coming up with, I little, know. with these little gems. But you can do it. And also then don't play the pool again. You know what I mean? That's see, what that's you do. A, that's interesting. Because there are some songs, though, I, I'm i with you on that. Yeah. That, but then there's some songs that Sister Janet has been coming oh. out a lot. Do it. And I think she's... She's showing herself more than maybe on other tours. Right. And I find that with some, some of them. I have a bone to pick with this song, David. Yes, tell me. Because Tori Amos has commented for years, you know, she's commented how like they, we, we, the fans, we, they know everything, you know, they know what I was wearing that day. They know that I did this one little song. You know, she always talks about how we know everything, right? She's right about that. And it's true. And heretofore, prior to the 2017, tour it was just known to me intrinsically that tori had never performed the pool before because it's not there's no bootlegs there's it's never anywhere but when noah brings it up to her she's like well, are you sure maybe once or twice maybe once in the 90s and for her to question our knowledge of something must mean that she's sure but she didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings right she didn't want to make anyone feel silly 
I mean, listen to what she's saying. She's giving us the clue. Are you sure not in Germany? Are you sure not in Spain? I think she's done it multiple times. And the fact of the matter is we don't have every set list from 1992. We don't even have half of the set list. So to make a bold statement, like you've never done this before, when it's a, a song from that era, it's very difficult to stand behind that statement. So I believe she played the song live maybe once or twice in the 90s. <laughs> what do you think? I think maybe she's just trying to like subtly undermine us at every turn. <laughs> I feel like that's just kind of how she responds to things. Like when I ask for songs at meet and greets, I'm like, Tori, I would love to hear Father Lucifer. She's like, are you sure? I do. Mm, yeah, I don't. <laughs> are you sure? No, I think she honestly doesn't remember. And she doesn't just kind of like out of the blue without spending too much time thinking about it. I don't think she would sort of contextualize her songs the same way we do in terms of like rarity or likelihood of having played it or not based on like the arrangement on the studio version versus like what she had live on tour in terms of equipment. I just don't think she thinks of things that way. And she must have just been like, this is one of my songs. Therefore, I think I must have played it at some point. No. No. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a really long run on sentence during which I didn't take a breath. And then I just get like shot down at the end, but it was worth it. <laughs> no, but I was like pool filibustering. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were. You were. It's possible. I agree with you that everything you said is completely possible. However, there have been songs that she's never played before that when she debuts them for the first time, she's like, all right, I've never done this before. And then she, so she knows what she's never done. I just, there's something about the way she said it that makes me think she's done it once or twice in the 90s. Once I don't in the know. 90s. I think when she says something like that, meaning I haven't done this before, it's like a newer song that mm -hmm. she's debuting on like the tour. Like on the boundary when she did on the boundary? It, well, but she wasn't promoting YKTR on the Night of Hunters tour. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, like, I don't know. That's like the YKTR stuff is like a different, a different animal. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But when she does like Wildwood on the Native Invader tour, you know, that's, I can understand why she'd say something like, I've never played this before because it's a new song and I'm on this tour, but I don't know. So you stand and believe that she's never performed it until November 7th, 2017 yes. in New York City. Yes. You think that's the first time she ever did the pool? I do. So you're team one pool. Team number one in the pool. You're team number two in the pool. My team naming skills need work. <laughs> We're muddying the waters with these stats, with these guesses. We're going to have to empty the pool. Well, basically, we need Toriumus to release the set lists from every show on the 92 tour. Which she doesn't have. I bet she does. They're in a binder on a shelf. I mean, maybe. Do we think her archivist has them? Of course. Really? I think so. I think so. Billy? What's his name? Bill? William? Like the printed versions from 1992, 91, 92? I mean, they're probably on napkins, scrawled on pieces of paper, but I think maybe she kept them and gave them to him. Do you think if she had done like an acapella performance of The Pool on the Little Earthquakes tour that it would have even been on the set list? Or in the moment, she would have done it as like an intro to like Mother or something? I really feel like she would have done it acapella as the first song, like a war numbness kind of deal. That's what I really, it makes sense to me that she would come out, sit down, and just start saying one with her hand open, you know, like just singing. And then, I don't know, or end the show with it or something. Well, if that happened you know, and we have no record of it, not only not a recording, but a set, I don't know, that's tragic. It is tragic. It is heartbreaking. <laughs> Take me back to the 90s. <laughs> but I actually don't think that's the case, so we're fine. <laughs> well, firing shots left and right, David. <laughs> shots fired. Out of the pool, everybody. Well, speaking of shots fired, 
it was as if I had a shot of electricity on the day that she performed the song because I was sitting next to Artie Pavlov and Priya, house right of the New York City uh, show when she did the song. I think I was like third row back. I, I was really close, I, if not the first row. I don't recall. But she started it. I jumped up and I screamed, the pool! I knew it was the pool before everybody else recognized that it was the pool. I knew it. I just had this sense the moment she started and then it took people like a moment, you know? I had, I jumped up, I screamed the pool and I did a full 360. I like turned in a full round circle. I couldn't believe it. And then I sat down and I looked over to Peter and Shaggy who were in front row center. I remember I was in the front row right because they were in front row center. And I looked, I like leaned so far so that they could see my face and I could see their face and then we could freak out together. It was, it was a moment. <laughs> it was extra. I was being extra. Poor Artie Pavlov. He messaged me and told me that he has a permanent bruise on his forearm <laughs> in the shape of your hand. That doesn't surprise me. Because you turned to him, gripped his arm incredibly hard, and just screamed into his face, The pool! <laughs> he messaged you that? Yeah, he, told you that? he did. It was a long message. And you, scre- wow. you screamed, The pool, like the woman who screamed, Shut up! You had a little Dixie cup of water, and you poured it into your mouth, and you were gurgling water as you scraped the No, pour. that's not what I did. I grabbed my floaties from my travel bag. I knew I brought them for a reason. Uh, I can't wait for next tour when we turn it into Rocky Horror Picture Show, and we have props I know. for every yeah. song. The pool. <laughs> Yeah, I was that girl. I'm sorry. It, it came out of me. I had no control over it. Were you wearing a two-piece? Mm-hmm. I okay. always. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I actually have a Velcro front shirt that I rip off just in case she was going to play the pool and reveal my <laughs> bikini top. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. <laughs> Let's play that whole entire version here. <laughs> okay. Thank you. 
Everybody, you're listening to Tour All Night, your nightly Native Invader after show wrap up. The pool. You guys, I'm dead. Have a good night. This has been Tour All Night. So, the pool. Are you kidding me? We're all winners tonight. That's what Shay Stymax says. Wills wants, be damned. We all got the pool. Like, where did that come from? Where? I'm going to say a nasty word. Where the hell did that come from? I'm still going to freak out over the pool. I'm going to find some other people to freak out with. I'm here with Frank Hi. Cruel Baker on Twitter. Hello. Hi, Frank. I came and found you. Hello. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm great. What did you think of that show tonight? I thought it was incredible. Besides meeting you, of course, it was really, really wonderful. She really put out today. The audience was just standing up nonstop. There were several standing ovations throughout. Oh my gosh, I can't see New York. Real the, pool. The, oh, the pool. The pool. I caught that. I was like, she played the pool. She What's up with that? Pool. Why is she playing the pool? It was That's incredible. Crazy. It was amazing. Um, I feel like we have to go back and redo that episode. It's true. I was really, really impressed. I was like, I think that's the pool. What's going yeah, on yeah. here? So it was pretty cool. I'm sitting with like friends in the row and like where I'm sitting and I'm freaking out. That's the pool. It's the pool. I was like, I couldn't even contain I, myself. I heard you shriek. I oh, might have heard you shriek. I did shriek. I, I did shriek. behind you. Yes, I yeah. definitely heard you shriek. So I can't really cool. Okay. I see Alexander Leger Small over there. I want to walk to him. Hi. How, How are, are you? you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. What was your favorite moment of the show? Um, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but the pool? The pool! I'm like, I never in my life. Has she ever played it live? Not once. Not once. Not even talked about it. There are no quotes about it. I'm just, I'm, I'm in shock. There She's was... like, you know what, guys? For the first New York show, I'm just going to shake it up and do the pool. Like, why? Why? Why, why? why would she do it? It's been mean, a request. It made sense going into Icicle. Like, yeah, I felt sure. it. I, it was an incredible She's show. commenting on the cesspool that is this country, the political right. sphere. Right. We should talk to Matthew from Australia, who has returned to the tour, a vision in a puffy coat. Matthew from Australia, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm, I'm well. Um, what did you think of the pool? Wow, out of this world. Yeah. Matthew from Australia. Uh, welcome home. Welcome home to tour. Artie Pavlov, gentleman, scholar. You have Beats headphones on, and you were sitting next to me, and he was gracious enough to give me a seat today uh, to get me into the house, into the show, and by pure luck, we were able to get upgraded to the front row. What was your favorite moment of the whole thing? I can't see New York, but again, pool. Oh, the pool. Oh, my God. I freaked out. Did you see me freak out? I did not know it had lyrics. Right. Uh, I know. <laughs> he didn't know it had lyrics. That's what he's telling me. But did you see me like, 
I was not. I like almost didn't have my chair. I was. But you had would have had no idea it was pool. Everybody was looking at me like, "What song is?" I screamed, "It's the pool! It's the pool!" I made sure everybody knew. Tori heard you. I'm sure she did. She's like, "Yeah, it's the pool." I'll sing it. Nikki Hughes, how are you? Hi, how you doing? I've known Nikki forever. What was your favorite moment of the show? Well, I like when I got my request for the pool. Oh, shut up! That was you. Tell it. Tell us the story behind it. Just wrote a letter and it got played. Did you inform her that she's never done it before? Yes. Nor has she ever talked about it before? And we're all dying to know how it came about? No, I didn't ask her that. Maybe you can ask her that when I will. see her next. I will. It'd be great. I'll ask her, like, what, what, what's the pool about? It was a defining moment tonight for me. It was amazing. Well, congratulations and thank you. I think we all have Nikki Hughes to thank for the pool. Yay. That was amazing. I was saying it earlier, like, that's the one time in a long time where I felt like, thank God I'm here in this moment. Like, I, there's nowhere in the world I'd rather be than listening to the pool in this moment. Like, this will never happen again. It's never happened before. It was really great. And into the icicle, into the fiercest icicle I've ever seen. Seriously, it was honestly the best icicle ever. Yeah. And it's interesting, the pairing. I, I guess I never thought about putting the two of them together, but she... Because it's like a dark, swampy pool in my mind, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's an ice pool. You know what I mean? So it felt like it fit with icicle. Maybe it's a sexual pool. Oh. 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 oh I, I, I'm, not, I'm Christian. I keep telling people I can't talk about things like that. Nikki, you'll be here at the show tomorrow? Yes. Okay. Are you, what if she does the pool again tomorrow? Are you going to die again? I'll die again. No, I think the dying is over at this point. But uh, uh, I'm still dead. I'll keep, every time she does the pool, I'll die for her. I'm just really grateful. Yay. Yeah. Congratulations and thank you. you. I'll thank see you tomorrow. You. Bye. Hi, Shaggy and Pete. Hi, Pete. Hi, Shaggy. What was your favorite moment of the show, boys? Let's start with Pete, because you already talked on the show, Shaggy. Um, my favorite moment of the show was probably the pool. Right. Was there any other songs that you played tonight? Uh, what was your favorite moment of the show? It would be the pool. Right. Into Icicle. The fiercest. Yeah. The best Icicle I've ever heard, hands down. I looked down the row at Shaggy after Icicle, and Shaggy's fanning himself off. He's like, he's, Woo. Woo. I was smoking a cigarette out of that. Good luck. Shaggy was in it. He was yeah. in it to win it. Shaggy, are you coming to the Eagle? Yeah. I mean, people are coming to meet you, to see you. Oh, they are? I mean, I'm assuming. It's a Shaggy meet and greet. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Just come in and just wave. Wave. And then leave. <laughs> and then leave. <laughs> Bye. And then play the pool. Like on the jukebox. Oh, yes, obviously, yes. yes. It's like an internet jukebox. floaties to get that song played. I know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. What, what, say that again for our listeners. Said nobody even had to wear swimsuits or floaties to get that song played. Because <laughs> we would have. We would have all come in floaties one day in a coordinated effort. Like the pirates' eye patches that everybody's in. Well, thank you guys for listening. I'm here with Shaggy and Pete. We're going to say goodnight. Oh, I miss tour. Don't Me you too. Tour? I do. Mm. Well, it was a short trip to the lounge because that's all we got, David. However, if anyone else out there has Tori performing this song in 1992 on a bootleg and you've for some reason never uploaded it to the internet, can you please do that now? (laughs) Do that right now. Pause this recording. What if Jor has it and she's like, oh, yeah, here you go. Why didn't you tell us this 25 years ago? Because you didn't ask me. (laughs) She's like, no one ever asked me about the pool. I thought everyone knew. (laughs) Well, this was fun. Let's leave the lounge. Okay. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. That was it, David. That's the pool. 
We did it. We did it. We pooled. We pooled our thoughts on the pool. Yes. We pooled our thoughts on the pool. Should we do a pool and ask people if they think Tori has actually performed the pool? We should. We'll do it on Instagram. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> well, if you enjoy what we do, you can head over to any of our social media profiles. You can head over to Twitter, Instagram. We are at Songs of Tramus. You can find us on Facebook at Songs of Tramus. If you want to write us some correspondence, you can email us at songsofteramus at gmail.com. If you want to sign up for our newsletter, it's songsofteramus.com. You can see all our show notes and previous episodes. But if you really like what we do, head over to patreon.com slash songsofteramus and become a supporter today. There's plenty of audio content behind the Patreon wall. Really good stuff, too. The Caton interview's there. Lauren Haynes is there. That's where he lives. He lives there. He lives on our Patreon. What about Wait, Wait, Don't Tour Me? Wait, Wait, Don't Tour Me's there. Imagine walking into your backyard and finding someone just swimming in your pool. Like a bear or a person? A person. Why a bear? (laughs) Because you always see on the news, like, people come home and they're like, there was a bear in my pool. He just made himself at home. Oh, like a gay bear? No, like a forest bear, like Yogi Bear. Oh. Well, I was imagining a twink, but you can imagine a bear all you want. What would you do if you came home and there was a twink floating around in your pool? Oh, get out. Get out of here. <laughs> That's what I would do. Shoo. Shoo. <laughs> With like a stick, you know? You just poke him. Yeah. Poke him. No, I would probably like hang out. I'd probably be like, what's up? What's up, sister? Do you think to scare off a twink, you're supposed to do the same thing that you do when you scare off a bear, which is like stand on your toes to look really tall and put your arms over your head and <laughs> sing? And sing? Yeah. Is that how you're supposed to scare a bear? Well, I learned that that part from Franly Boyds. She said that's what she was huh. told to do when she was on a nature hike. You're supposed to do all that and sing because the bear is just going to be like, what is this? Oh, interesting. What is this thing? This is not anything I'm interested in like eating or even like talking to. <laughs> what would you sing to the bear? Um, I know what I would Forest sing. of Glass. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so that he's like, oh my God, I better be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to break anything. Um, I would sing Professional Widow. Really? Give me a taste. Slag! No, I would sing the Merry Widow version. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I started in the wrong key. Slag! <laughs> Um, no, I would sing the Mary Widow version. Just okay. like really belt. No, I would do do it again. Yeah, the chesty house. That's what mm-hmm. I would do. Gorgeous. That was like the Florence Foster Jenkins version of do it again. Well, thanks. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was nearly identical to Tori's, but I guess it wasn't. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of enthusiasm behind it. Well, sometimes all you need is the heart. Mm-hmm. I had a great time on this episode and we'll be back. What's the next one? Take to the sky. Bye. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com. It's the pool! It's the pool!